I'm Fred Eichler, and welcome to the Everything Eichler podcast, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Welcome to the Antelope podcast. And antelope, to me, are amazing. I absolutely love them. I think they are probably one of the most beautiful animals that we have, or I should say handsome. Beautiful sounds a little cheesy. I think they're one of the most handsome animals that we have in North America the black horns or the black cheek patch on the males against the white and the brown, I think they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, also, some cool random information. Um, they're called, of course, pronghorn antelope. But what's really neat is they don't really have a true horn. Horned antelope or horned animals, of course, like a bighorn sheep, a Rocky Mountain goat, uh, things like that, or horned animals in Africa even, continue to grow their horns for the entirety of their life. They, they get larger every year, they get bigger, and they continue to grow. Antelope, however, actually drop and shed their horn every single year and regrow it, which makes it totally unique. So even though it's called uh, a pronghorn antelope, and I think, uh, I think it was actually Lewis and Clark, uh, that first saw them and named them pronghorn antelope, if I remember that correctly. But they're not truly a horned animal. So kind of cool. And that that sheath that they shed, they usually shed it in December, which is also unique since uh, most of your other antlered animals can start shedding anywhere, you know, usually February to April, I would say. Most animals across North America are shedding their, you know, whitetail and moose and everything else are dropping their, you know, their antlers uh, sometime between then. Uh, whereas antelope shed their keratin sheath, which is like your fingernail, usually in December. I've found a handful of them, uh, but it's rare because everything eats that sheath. Uh, mice and coyotes and skunks and you name it. Um, it's really pretty tasty, so they don't make it very long. So I've been guiding antelope hunters for 27 years. Kind of crazy. Um, actually, our logo for Full Draw Outfitters actually has antelope horns, if you've ever seen uh, the logo, uh, because really that's what we started with. It was like, man, antelope are awesome, really cool animals, and usually a super high success rate. This year, for example, just to give it an example, um, we had an exceptional year. We were 100% on shot opportunities for our clients, which I'm super proud of. That means everybody that came out got a shot in an antelope. Now, they may not have all killed antelope like our first week. Uh, we were 100% on shots. We were 6 out of 8 on kills. Uh, the two that did not harvest animals actually got multiple shots at bucks. Uh, I think the closest one missed was 15 yards. So there were some – we should have had a little higher success on that on the kill rate. But what's really cool is we were getting, getting people shots. So I want to talk about how to hunt antelope. And there's a lot of different ways, and I'll delve into it a little bit. Um, to me, water bar none – uh, especially if it's dry, of course, uh, is the most efficient way and the way the majority of antelope are harvested with a bow and arrow. Um, and I'm going to kind of focus on bow. We'll talk about rifle some. Uh, but, you know, since the majority of what we do, we take rifle hunters, muzzleload hunters, but the majority of our antelope we harvest every year are with a bow. And the unique thing about the area of southern Colorado that I'm in is it's actually over the counter. Uh, there's not many states left. Uh, that you can buy an antelope tag over the counter uh, for bucks or, or does, which is kind of cool. But in 27 years of guiding antelope hunters, I've learned that water is the most efficient way to hunt them. Um, setting up a blind over a water hole, uh, it, you just can't beat that. Um, there's a bunch of other ways to harvest antelope as well. One, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this one, it's kind of crazy. I only learned this one a few years ago from a guy in South Dakota, Rick and his granddaughter, um, Aspen, I went on a hunt for uh, Ford Outfitters 
and uh, they used a horse, and it blew me away. I was like, that is so cool, and kind of like the old uh, Jeremiah Johnson, you know, uh, antelope doesn't know how many legs a horse has. Um, it, it's, it's, I think the actual movie quote was elk, but I'm throwing in antelope because I just think it sounds cool, um, and it applies to what we're talking about. But the cool thing about using a horse is there's a lot to it. Um, I was blown away. Those those guys in South Dakota literally slipped me up um, in bow range, and I shot an antelope behind the horse. And I'm like, this is crazy. Uh, you know, every time I'm horseback, if we're gathering cattle or if I'm just riding to the pasture, antelope take off running from the horse. Uh, the unique thing here is um, that, that those guys have figured out is that if a horse goes into a pasture – with a person on it, one that doesn't look very natural, and of course they're going to run. But the horse is also being ridden, so it's not acting like a normal, um, you know, a normal grazing animal. It's being ridden, its heads up, um, and it's cruising around at a you know unnatural, I guess, pace. But they figured out that if the horse goes into a pasture and instantly starts eating, and the antelope watch it for a while, I'm just going to give you the cliff notes. Um, they realize that oh, it's just a you know it's another grazing animal, no big deal, no threat there. And if they watch it for a long time or for a while, they start to feel very comfortable around it. And then of course, if you very slowly ease the horse in, you can actually get right in range. And we have had our clients shoot antelope behind horses. Um, we've shot antelope behind horses now here at our place. You know, 20, 30, 40 yards. I mean, just unreal how close you can get. But there's a lot to that. It's not a uh, it's it's not a simple thing like you know the antelope you want to always let them see the horse even if you have to go through a dip on the way that's where you want to take two horses where one horse stays above and the antelope can see it the whole time and then you take the other horse through the dip wait till it's up grazing in front of the antelope and then bring the other horse through so the antelope can see the other horse there's a lot of little things um, those guys showed me which just blew me away and so we've done that efficiently too it's just a lot more work um, fence crossings um, another great way to hunt antelope. Uh, I would say 99.9% of antelope go underneath the fence. Um, personally, I think it's an evolutionary thing. Antelope have been on the wide open prairies forever, and they're not used to ever having an obstacle like that. They almost always go around an obstacle, and they've learned to go underneath fences. Uh, the interesting thing is they can actually jump probably higher than a whitetail. Uh, but they don't do it. It's just not something they do very often. They go underneath fences. So fence crossings are another great way to uh, to hunt antelope. You can set up a blind by an active fence crossing um, and smoke an antelope right there as well. They usually slow down or stop uh, before they go under. So I, if I have the option, I try and get them on the side that they're going to come from and not where they're going to because once they go under – they oftentimes scoot out of there pretty fast. So you see what I'm saying? When they come up to the fence, you want to be on the side they're coming from. Um, and 50-50, you'll catch them coming uh, no one way or the other. But if you can get them on that side where they're coming to, once they go under, usually it's a pretty fast little zip. Um, another way to make fence crossings awesome is uh, if you have permission, of course, make sure you get permission um, from a landowner. Uh, but you can tie up that bottom strand and uh, give them a little more room. And I've actually made uh, you know, fence crossings where the antelope are like, ooh, look at this wonderful place across. You know, I've got plenty of room here from that bottom wire, and they'll start utilizing that. Another thing, and uh, this isn't talked about a lot, although I did 
I, I did talk about it. I wrote a book called Bow Hunting Western Big Game, and I talked about it in there. Um, we have harvested uh, quite a few antelope over scrapes, scrape lines. Uh, as antelopes start getting into the rut, they will randomly, they'll just start making scrapes all over the place. Um, it's different, but it's the same if you think of like a whitetail um, because a lot of antelope are just randomly, they're just, they're making scrapes all over the place. But a lot of times you'll find ones that they'll continually keep freshening up or they'll have kind of a line or a border um, where another buck is and they'll, they'll make a lot of scrapes. And we've actually harvested bucks by, uh, by setting up over those scrape lines or as the buck was marking territories. Um, another great way to harvest an antelope is decoys. Um, I actually worked with the guys from Montana Decoys um, and actually did a, don't laugh, signature decoy. Um, I was like, guys, we need to make this thing stand up um, so, you know, I can go hands-free if I'm hunting by myself or if somebody else is using it by themselves and maybe they don't have a guide to hold up the antelope. So we came out with a pretty handy little stand that you can just push down with your feet and the antelope decoy will stand up. Now, it's still a pain if it's windy. Just being honest with you, if it's windy, it's really difficult uh, to decoy antelope. But if it's not windy, man, that Montana decoy will work. The only thing with decoys is there's a, it, it, there's a very small window that it works amazing. If you pop up a buck decoy before the rut, before you see the bucks chasing other bucks off, they're either going to be totally, they're not going to ignore it or it'll actually spook them. They won't like it very much. Um, so what I do and what I advise guys is, hey, watch, watch what's going on. Um, or talk to ranchers and farmers. We're out there all the time. So between the boys or me, we're watching. It's like, oh, man, the rut's getting closer. Rut's getting closer. That, you know, those bucks are starting to chase off other bucks now. And then, boom, all of a sudden you'll see it. You know what I mean? You can tell when that first antelope doe comes into estrus because now the bucks are crazy and they're, they won't let another buck get within half a mile. They're screaming out and running him off a mile and trying to keep their little herd. So that's when decoying works absolutely amazing. Um, I can't say across the country because I do not know, but I can say that in this area of southern Colorado, um, it's usually at the latter part. The last week to 10 days of archery season is when it really starts to get good to decoy. Um, rifle season, uh, because that starts early October, is usually awesome because that's also peak of the rut for them, and it works great then too. So don't overlook a decoy. Um, the other method that is probably the most difficult with antelope because they can see almost 360 degrees around them their eyes are actually uh this might even not be the right word but protruded i'm going to say they're poultry they pulled out they're, it, it's weird if you look at an antelope skull next to like a whitetail skull an elk skull or other game animals skulls you could see those eye sockets are like bulging out um so it's kind of crazy but that's what allows them to see almost a full 360 around them so if you think you're going to get out and sneak up on an antelope without getting spotted oh odds are not going to happen you need terrain um, you need a distraction you need some cover um, we've done it but it is very difficult um, other cool thing about antelope is even though their eyes are amazing and that's their main means of defense um, they have very small ears um, you can see if you look at them they have tiny tiny little ears they're not really big so you can see they don't really use their ears a lot i mean if they hear something yeah i can make them nervous but they're relying on their eyes way more than their ears. That's why their eyes are so large. And they're also uh, diurnal, which is kind of cool. Um, where, where a lot of animals are mostly nocturnal, which means, of course, they you know what I mean, feed at night and they're sleeping during most of the day. Um, antelope are like people. They're diurnal. They spend most of the daytime uh, feeding and doing their thing. 
and then they're actually sleeping at night or hanging out, not doing much. So kind of cool about uh, antelope as well. Uh, their noses, another thing, antelope can smell, but again, they are not that. Those eyes, uh, you know, evolution has taught them that you know they live in wide open prairie, and boy, even if sometimes they smell it and maybe sometimes they hear it, if they don't see it with their eyes, it's almost like they don't really trust it. They're relying on those eyes. Um, so let's go back. That's the different ways to to kind of hunt them, and that's how we do it efficiently. And we'll use a little bit of all those strategies, water, fence crossings, uh, scrape lines, decoy, spot and stock, you know what I mean? So, you know, on the horses, I think I mentioned that, but it's, it's, it's neat because there's a bunch of different ways to hunt them. But since water is the king, I think, of, of antelope, as far as the majority of people harvesting them over water, and that's what the majority of our clients do, I want to touch base on this and then I'm going to go into a bunch of questions. I've got Julie sitting here with me, um, which she helps us out with a lot of stuff, everything I learned. She's amazing, and she's really good with the technological stuff. I can never say that word. <laughs> Technology stuff, uh, computers, all that good stuff. She helps us out with a lot. And uh, so she's got a bunch of questions that she's pulled uh, that we threw out there, I think, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, some of those different uh, social media uh, platforms that we use. So... Our key to being successful on water, and your key to being successful on water, one uh, is to set up a blind if possible. And I know this is tough for people that are, you know, out of state. Uh, but if you know where you're going to hunt, man, make a trip out. Come out a month or two months before season and get a blind set up if you're hunting, uh, you know, private land. Uh, if you're hunting public land, check the regulations. Uh, a lot of times you can set up um, a non-permanent blind on uh, on public land now the only drag there is a lot of places on public land the deal is yep you can set one up and you can hunt it but hey if somebody beats you to your own blind they can hunt it too so make sure you check the regulations on public land but you know with antelope the big thing is i try and i try and give them as much time to get used to a change in their environment uh, so when i set up a blind i try and brush it in a little bit or I at least get it out way before season so they see it they're coming in, they're drinking all the time during the summer months when it's super hot. You know what I mean? That July, early August, um, even the end of June. So then when season comes, they're totally, you know, it's it's just part of the water hole. They don't even think about it anymore. Biggest thing I tell people on antelope is they're so easy to miss. I get so excited watching an antelope come in, usually with deer or elk or bears or a lot of other animals. All of a sudden, they're just there. You know, you're sitting in the whitetail woods, you're sitting in a tree stand, you look up, oh, there's a whitetail, it's 30 yards away. You don't have a lot of time to get excited. I mean, of course you're excited, but it's like, oh, okay. You go into kind of automatic mode, draw the bow, put the pen on, and you shoot. The problem with antelope and what eats me up, I get excited anyways, but with antelope, when you watch him from a mile away and he slowly meanders towards you, by the time... That antelope comes in, whether it's a buck or a doe, I am just beside myself. I am so excited. And the problem is I know my clients are exactly the same because they miss all the time. And I've missed too. Antelope are tough because you get so excited by the time they get there. So some people have heard me talk about Chuck Adams' advice uh, to me about the negative reinforcement. I try and play that with me, and I tell a lot of my clients that, hey, in your mind, play, oh, he's not going to come. I'm sure something's going to happen before he gets here. Coyote may run him off or whatever and and play that reverse psychology game on yourself like to try and keep yourself calm. 
It's still really tough, though, because when you watch them come from that far, it can drive you nuts. Um, the biggest mistake people make on on hunting over water holes is it's super hot. Antelope hunting is awesome, and it's probably one of the higher success bow hunts um, that you can do. Like I said, we were 100% on shot opportunities. Um, but the tough thing is it's long days. The best way to hunt them is to get out there before light, sit all day, and get out dark. And if you don't get one, hop in there the next day, start in a, before before light, sit all day, come out in the dark. Now, know that you will be dealing with flies landing on you. You may have mosquitoes. That's where a thermocell is handy. And you are going to be hot. Like for fun, me and my cameraman will see how many drops of sweat are rolling off our nose. And we'll try and let them fall on ants in the bottom of the blind. So if that gives you some idea how hot it can get in an antelope blind, that's good because it can get boiling. Um, I like pop-up blinds. Um, uh, we use muddies, um, the pop-up blinds that are awesome. You can get in there, got a black background. The biggest thing is when you're sitting in an antelope blind, you don't want to get silhouetted. This is really tough because it's stagnant and hot in there. So you want to open all the windows or slide slide the 360 stuff down so you can see everywhere, so you can see out the back and you can have an airflow blowing through there. Not good. You want to just leave a small opening toward the water, leave everything else blacked out. And the reason for that is if they silhouette you inside that blind, they are gone. And it's not necessarily so many people think, oh, the antelope's scared of the blind. Scared of the blind. It came in and circled, and it's scared of the blind. I have watched hundreds of antelope, and we've actually, our plants have harvested over a 1,000 antelope with a bow in 27 years, but a lot of people think, oh, that antelope's hesitating, he stopped, or maybe he came close to the water and now he's turning away, oh my gosh, I gotta shoot, and they'll try and stretch out a shot that they should not try and make, when if they would give it time, the antelope would come in. My wife hard shot one the other day um, in an area where after all our clients were done, she went there, it took I think three days or something like that, but the antelope circled and circled and came around and finally, and she just waited. She didn't shoot it 40 or 60 or 80 when it kept stopping and looking and staring and slowly coming in. I think her shot was 15 yards, if I remember right, shot it right above the heart. It ran 40 or 60 yards, whatever, and bloop. So I tell people all the time, let the water hole work. Antelope are coming in nervous to water holes because their main predator is coyotes. And there are also bobcats. There's also lions out in the prairie as well. But when an antelope is coming in to a water hole, especially from when they're babies, coyotes hide by the water. That's where the tallest grass is. That's where the brush is. That's the best place for a coyote to ambush an antelope. So when they come into water, they're nervous. They're looking for any movement, anything that doesn't look right. So you know, a dove could jump up, you know what I mean, out of the brush, and you'll see them just, wah, and take off because they think it's a coyote coming out to grab them. So give it time. Let an antelope come in, drink. A lot of people say, well, do I let them drink for a long time or short time? I let them come in, and I watch the animal. If it looks calm, I'll take the shot, whether it's drinking or even if it hasn't drank yet. Once it kind of goes Okay, this is safe. You can kind of almost tell. You know, the antelope will come in super nervous, super nervous, and then there's a time where it kind of commits, like, okay, I'm going to drink here. I think it's safe. 
from that point to when it's drinking, I shoot. I don't wait a long time because a lot of times when antelope are done drinking, they're like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to take off from this water hole just, you know, just in case something's there I don't see. So it's great to be ready. Take the shot when the animal appears relaxed. Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff we go over, but I think a lot of them, Julie said that we got some great questions. So I want to go over some of the questions that people sent in. And thank you so much for the questions you did send in. Um, let me look and see. If I, did I hit? I think I hit some of the key things that I wanted to. Um, let's go over some of your questions here, Julie. All right. This is Julie. Hi, guys. So the first question comes from Facebook. Nathan from Georgia. Does the size of the horns correspond to the age of the goat? I've been told the age has very little bearing on the horns. Ah, good question. And just like whitetails or elk or moose, um, the horns actually do. Um, it does matter, and the horns do relate to the age of the animal. Now, the other large factor there is, of course, how much nutrition they're getting. Uh, was it a good spring? Was it a good summer? But, yes, just like whitetail, just like elk, just like you know, any, you know, any other animal that's growing every year, whether it's an antler or the unique situation with an antelope, it's horn. Um, yes, as they get older, they will be larger. Um, and you'll have certain years where there's more growth or less growth based on uh, whether it's a good year nutrition-wise. But thank you for that uh, question. You said that was Nathan? Yep. Thanks, Nathan. And uh, Julie is a pretty hardcore hunter herself. And uh, I, I get, uh, even though she works with me, uh, she actually lives in Nebraska, and I go nuts sometimes because when she's not here, she's sending me pictures of fish she's caught or ducks she's shooting or geese or coyotes. or She she gets after it pretty hard, which is which is pretty cool. And uh, actually, also, she uh, comes from a farming background. So, so Julie's not just uh, – she's not just reading questions here. She's pretty hardcore. All right. Got to try and keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You do awesome. All right. Another question from Facebook. From Hoosier Harvesters in Hoosier Indiana. Hoosier Harvesters, like it. Yep. The black patch on the side of a buck's face. How much can you use that to estimate either the age or the size? Oh, good question, Hoosier Harvesters. Um, I'm going to tell you that I can't tell by looking at the black patch on the side of the buck's face. Um, that is basically the gland um, that, that – and you'll see them rubbing that all the time. Just like you see whitetails on the supraorbital gland right by the eye when they make a scrape and they'll rub their eyes on the licking branch and stuff a lot, getting their scent on there. Well, that's from that supraorbital gland. On an antelope, um, one of their major glands is right there near their jawline, and you'll see that secretes um, like a – and it makes that patch get super, super dark as the rut gets closer and closer. So if you look at an antelope buck in the summer um, or spring or even the winter, um, you'll see that's a very faded, very light. You can tell that it's a black patch. You can tell it's a buck by looking at the patch. Um, but as it gets closer to the rut, that patch gets super dark as the uh, as that strong musk comes in and kind of flows into that into the hair right there in that area from the gland. So, But I, I can't say that, you know, there's some bucks, I've seen younger bucks that look like they had really dark, dark patches. Um, there may be, uh, somebody may say, man, no, as a buck gets older, uh, that patch increases in size by a quarter inch or half inch, but it certainly can't be much. I, I would say that your best bet on an antelope's age would be looking at the horns uh, if you're looking for trophy status. And it's 67 inches uh, to make Pope and Young, 82 inches for Boone and Crockett if people are looking for a, a trophy antelope. 
and I'm I'm going to expand on that just a touch because a lot of people ask me, um, you know, Fred, hey, if I'm looking for a 67-inch buck, you know, why, antelope are tough because they you only get, you know, two circumference measurements below the prong, two circumference measurements above the prong, the length of the whole horn, and then the cutter, you know what I mean, the prong itself, how they got the prong horn name. So you only get six measurements on each side. Width makes no difference on antelope. So I think everybody out there that knows who I am knows I shoot everything. I'm, I'm shooting for fun. I enjoy myself. Hunting, to me, they're all trophies. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a doe, a young buck, big buck. I get pretty jacked about all of them. But I certainly understand people saying, hey, I want a good representative, or, hey, I'm, I'm into trophy hunting, you know, and that's great. More power to you. You have more patience than me. I'm sitting there, and a buck comes in or a doe comes in. I'm like, whoo. I'm going to shoot you and eat you. But if you're looking for a Pope and Young buck, um, I tell guys, look for something. And an antelope sears is a good reference. Most of them are about six inches. Um, but if you see something that's a little more than twice the length of its ears, then you've got, uh, you know, an antelope that's probably 12 inches long as far as the horn goes. And almost all antelope have some curl over. So you can usually have another inch to three inches you know, of curl over that. So if it looks like it's 12 inches tall, you know, odds are you're going to be looking at, once you measure that full horn, a 13 and a half to, who knows, even a 15-inch uh, buck based on how much curl over it has. Um, if you've got pretty good circumferences, um, you know, decent mass, and, you know, it takes some time looking at them, uh, odds are that's going to be a buck if you've got one that's 12 inches tall, depending on the region and, and what kind of mass the antelope in your area have. Usually you're going to be talking about a buck right there that will make the minimum for Pope and Young, which is 67. So that's kind of the equivalent of a 125-inch whitetail to, to kind of put it in perspective. For Boone and Crockett, you're looking at an 82-inch uh, minimum to make the all-time Boone and Crockett. And uh, although we usually shoot a Boone and Crockett and sometimes two every year, um, that is a much more difficult nut to crack. And uh, then everything, you know, of course, plays a huge factor. Length. It's very rare for something under, uh, much under 15 inches or 14 and a half in, in this country to make Boone and Crockett. Uh, then you have to have really good cutters, a lot of mass um, to, to make it. But a lot of times those 15 to 16 and a half inch bucks with good mass, good cutters, those are the ones that are going to make Boone. So that's just in reference to the to the question that our, that our Hoosier Harvesters asked, just to give you some more information. And, and for me, I don't. Uh, I don't look at the patch on the side of his uh, neck there to estimate age. I look more at the body, the gut on the antelope, and the horns. Hope that answers your question. All right. So Brian from Montana on Facebook and Derek on Instagram are both asking almost the same question. Oh um, wait, who? Oh, Derek. And yep. Derek. Okay, gotcha. So it's about shedding of the horns, but I thought maybe you could go into more detail that oh. you've talked about before. Gotcha, gotcha. So he says, can you explain the makeup of antelope horns and how they grow? I thought they were like sheep and remained intact for life, but I understand they shed annually. I also understand there's no velvet and they continue to grow throughout the hunting season. So a buck taken the first week of the season might have had longer horns if he was taken the last week of the season. Antelope are super cool. And unique because uh, I mentioned earlier because they they have a horn but it's not a true horn um, and I used to think when I was a kid too I was like oh yeah antelope have horns just like big horns and Rocky Mountain goats but they do shed them um, the the closest thing I could equate it to is like uh, your fingernail um, it's you can almost see the hairs in there but it's it's more like a keratin sheath 
and it's actually hollow. So like a taxiderm, it's really cool, and I should show this sometime, but a lot of times taxidermists, when they boil it out, and they just boil it lightly to pop off that horn, some guys even put them in the microwave just for a little bit. You can ruin it if you go too long, but a little bit, and you can actually twist and pop that horn right off, and it's hollow on the inside. Uh, so it's really kind of it, it's, it's interesting and totally unique, but you are correct. Yes, they do shed them. Um, they start growing. As soon as uh, as soon as they shed them, almost you'll see they start kind of growing back. Um, so you can have one growing all summer, and yes, they can grow. Uh, I don't know exactly when the cutoff is. Uh, wildlife biologists might be able to tell you exactly on that um, when they stop growing. Uh, but it's not uh, you know because of course when they're getting ready to to shed it, just like a whitetail buck, they're not getting any more uh, nutrients to that. It's gonna you know it's getting ready to pop off, um, but it is really a unique, it's a unique keratin sheath that's hollow inside except for the base. It has almost like a little core that comes up from their skull. So the first few inches um, has a, you know, almost like a little bone core. All right. Jacob on Instagram. I'm hunting antelope for the first time in October with a rifle. Most likely will be a far shot. How do I go about aging an antelope, same as a whitetail body-wise? Gotcha. Good question. And yeah, there's a lot of similarities, the sagging gut. Um, but again, there, I assume you're, you're looking more for a trophy antelope, um, you know, than an, than an older antelope, I'm assuming. Um, so with the rifle also make sure, um, I shouldn't say make sure, but check into some of the custom dial systems like loophole for example i use a custom dial system on my rifle because it's ridiculously accurate i don't have to figure out holdover anymore if you get if you get a cds or or an equitable system um basically what you do once you zero the rifle in and i'll give you the cliff notes um i've got one where i say i'm going to sight my rifle in at 200 and i tell them i have to give them information like uh you know the distance between uh the center of my scope and the you know the bore of the rifle um so how high the scope is from the bore i have to tell them what temperature i'm going to be shooting at you know what i mean is it going to be you know uh 70 degrees or 100 degrees or 30 degrees um a bunch of these tiny little variables will go in um basically they want the ballistic coefficient uh bullet weight all the all the stuff for the round that you're going to be shooting specifically and then they basically set that scope up um that turret up for your individual rifle and the drop on that particular round that you've given them. Now, of course, you can't switch up bullet weights and things like that, or it'll throw the whole thing off. But if you have it set up that way, once you zero it at, let's say, 200 yards, then you can click it and go to 300, 400, 500, 600 yards, and the rifle theoretically should be dead on. Now, I never trust that. I always go through and double-check it. And all kinds of little variables come into play, like barometric pressure, altitude. But they'll, ask, they'll also ask you those questions, like what's the average altitude you think you'll be shooting at? So they try and eliminate as many of those variables as they can. So it's pretty dang close. Uh, but it, it, it helps out a lot, especially if you have a little longer shot uh, like you would on an antelope. Um, but, yeah, for, for aging an antelope and figuring out how old it is, yes, it's very similar to uh, – you know, to a whitetail or an elk or anything else, once you've seen a lot of antelope or looked at them, you can see, uh, you know, an obviously more mature, older buck. Um, you know, it, it's it's very obvious. Uh, the thing is, a year-and-a-half-old buck is going to have usually four to six-and-a-half-inch horns almost every time. So at a year-and-a-half, 
you know what I mean? You're talking four to six and a half, maybe even seven, but right in there, four to seven inches, let me say. Um, then after that, that's when they start, boom, that's when they get a big jump from a year and a half to two and a half. You know what I mean? You may get one going to 11 inches or, or even 12 possibly. And then the following year, they start putting on more mass, maybe a little bit more length. But, you know, to, to age one, it's, it's good to some of the tips that I talked about earlier as far as what you can look for in a mature you know, as far as looking at the horns and knowing whether it's an older, more mature animal will help you out on that. But I hope you have luck on your hunt. All right. Brian from Twitter. What causes pronghorn bucks to have deformed, non-typical horns? Oh, good question. And what's really cool, Brian, is there are less, and I bet you could look this up. I know I'm right on this. There are less non-typical antelope than any other antlered animal. It's crazy. It's very, very rare to see a non-typical antelope. Now, my opinion is the majority of those are from an injury. Um, could be a vehicle. Uh, could be uh, while they're growing, they're getting hooked up in a fence. Maybe they broke. Um, like if you think of a whitetail and say the pedicle, let's say they, they cooked over that bone spur that comes out that, it, that the sheath grows around so it is very unusual we've got one that my uh that our son named krampus and he's really cool because he's got one that goes straight up and one that goes crazy out directly to the side um some of that could be uh genetic but i would tell you the majority of those are probably from an injury but the really cool thing is a non-typical antelope is as cool of a trophy as you can have because it is very rare all right, this next one we kind of touched on, but if there's anything else you want to add to it, Brandon from New Mexico on Facebook, keys to success when setting up a blind over a water hole. Yes. So um, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the tips is, you know, getting the blind out there ahead of time. Don't crowd the antelope too much. Um, I tend to put the blind where the antelope aren't going to be as comfortable uh, drinking. Um, and I say that, let's say in a pond situation or almost any tank, um, I've got to where I'll walk up and look at a pond and before I'll even go up to it, I'll say, okay, the antelope, most of the tracks are going to be over here because that's more open. Antelope use their eyes as their main means of defense. So they're going to approach that from the side that they can see. And even when they're down and getting water where they can see predators that are trying to approach them or might be sneaking up on them. So usually you can look at a water hole, um, let's say a little dirt tank or whatever, and go, I bet the antelope are drinking from there because there's less brush there. Um, there's more visibility from that side. So I will then not put the blind on that side. I'll put it on the other because then it's not as intimidating. I'm not trying to put it where they're trying to walk right past me. You don't want to have them walking right past the blind. Anyways, you want to be a little bit away from them so you can kind of get a broadside shot. Same with uh, cattle tanks. Uh, there's a lot of cattle tanks uh, that we hunt over as well, which are, you know, wells were drilled and either a uh, windmill set up with sucker rod, they're pulling water out of the ground into a kettle tank set up on a float system, or they may have a solar tank, um, which is basically just a solar panel that's running, again, a submersible pump uh, that's down in the ground, it's pumping the water, and again, it works just like your toilet, you know, it's got a little float system in it as well. Um, cattle tanks, the great thing about any water, whether it's a cattle tank or whether it's a dirt tank, a lot of times the best grass is located around those tanks so sometimes even if it rains i've had guys go oh man no no sense in even going out today it rained I'm like well actually some of the best grass is around those tanks 
uh, because of spillover or splashing. And that's a great place to hunt because they may come in to eat the grass, even if they don't come in to hit the water. Uh, but, yeah, so on on uh, water, whether it's a, you know, a cattle tank or whether it's a dirt pond, uh, take a look at it. Those are the tips that I use. And then, of course, I cross-reference tracks. I'll use stealth cams. I'll put up a game camera and confirm that what I'm looking at is, you know, that's exactly how it is. And those will help you out that way. All right. What's next? All right. Another one that you kind of touched on, but Harley on Instagram. For blind setups, how far in advance should you set one out? Man, as, as early as you can, Harley. Great question. But as early as you possibly can. Literally, if I, I've got some spots, I leave blinds out all year. Like I've got a muddy permanent. Um, I've got actually two of them out at antelope spots. I leave them out all year. I've even built wooden blinds so I can have the antelope getting used to them all year. Now, of course, that's on private. If you're hunting public, um, and I'm hunting on public too. And the best bet there is is to get out, check the regulations. Uh, uh, sometimes you can dig a pit and uh, set up a whole bunch of sagebrush or put some netting up, things like that. But make sure you check the regulations because they do vary state to state. But generally the rule is you can put something up that's non-permanent. But here's the deal, Harley. If you're not the first one to that blind, somebody else can hunt it. So the way to get away from that is to to hunt the places on public land that are the least accessible. And with Google Maps and all this stuff now, Onyx and all these other crazy apps, you can figure out, you can take a look at them and go, oh, look at that, there's a little pond, or you know, here's a little low spot that may hold water. Um, and never overlook a tiny, tiny little seep. I mean, uh, antelope will drink out of a cow hoof print if it's got water in it. Um, they're not picky, they don't need a big pond, they don't need super clean water. They will drink wherever water is available. John from Instagram, newbie antelope hunter going on my first hunt in Wyoming next year. Nice. Please talk about factors to consider when putting a blind out at a water hole. Does an antelope have as good a sense of smell as whitetail? Not at all. Wouldn't even compare. I talked about the uh, factors to consider when putting a blind out of the water hole. Um, don't, oh, and one other thing I guess I should add to that, John. Um, if you're in cattle country, we put uh, T-post and I put them far enough to where a cow can't lean against the wire and get to my blind. Uh, but we put up four T-posts and two strands of wire um, around the blind to keep uh, any cattle if we're in cattle country. Um, and even on public land in Colorado, a lot of times they'll, uh, you know, they'll have the grazing rights leased out. Uh, so a lot of times it's a good idea to put, uh, you know, to put some wire and uh, some T-posts around your blind. But uh, sense of smell... It's awesome. Antelope rely on their eyes more than they do anything else. If you can fool their eyes, you're usually in good shape, even if they get a big whiff of you. But, yeah, you can't even compare. Like if an antelope's a 10 or, uh, sorry, if a whitetail, if you put him on a on a scale of 1 to 10 on smelling, if you gave a whitetail a 10, I'd give an antelope a 2. Um, if they smell it, I mean, they can probably smell great but they just don't correlate that, uh, you know, really with people or with danger, um, you know, because they're, they're just not used to that. So I know there's a story out of this one because it comes from Mike Meth over on Instagram. <laughs> Do you have any good recommendations for hunting out of blinds with bigger windows for arrow tracking and release? My buddy, Mike. Uh, Mike, yes, uh, you need huge windows. Uh, Mike's <laughs> a buddy of mine that came out and uh, – and was hunting in, in one of our in one of our blinds, and he had a nice buck come in. He was all excited. He drew, and I guess the antelope was walking. And, of course, you kind of zone in sometimes on the animal you're after, and he didn't realize as the animal was walking, it walks right into the side of the 
you know, side of the blind. Well, he shoots, and he shoots right through my blind. Did not touch the antelope, but he did put a huge hole in my blind. I think you still owe me on that, by the way, Mike. <laughs> All right, Sam on Facebook. I live in Oregon. Antelope tags for a desirable unit are hard to come by. I have enough preference points to finally draw a tag for next year. It will be a once-in-a-lifetime hunt for me because of my age. Here's the question. I've heard that antelope don't like to cross fences, and you can use that to lay in and wait for them. Yep, good question, Sam, and congrats on uh, hopefully you'll get that tag next year in Oregon. Um, yes, uh, fence crossings, and I wouldn't say they don't like to. They, they do it all the time, um, and they're totally used to it, especially in cattle country and, and with fences, of course, all over the country now. Um, but uh, make it easy for them, uh, Sam. If, I don't know if you're hunting public or private, uh, but if you're hunting private, you can usually tie up a strand. I talked about that earlier. Um, or just go and look, walk some country. Um, if you're allowed, if it's if it's public or if it's private, if you have permission or, or can legally do it, use a four-wheeler, use a horse, put in, wear out some boot leather, walk fences in antelope country, and you will go, oh, my gosh, right here is where these antelope are coming through because it's very obvious. They'll be, it'll be dug out underneath the fence. They will be antelope hair everywhere uh, because they scratch their backs as they're going through. Matter of fact, a lot of antelope will have scratches on their backs because of that. Um, but check check those areas out. It can be a great way um, to, to wait for them and uh, get set up. I mentioned earlier, uh, if if you know where the antelope, if you know the side the antelope are on and where they're going to, try and get uh, there where they're coming to the fence on that side because once they go underneath the fence, they usually trot off. So being on the side that they're coming from um, is usually best than where they're going to. Joel over on Instagram, can an antelope jump, drop the string like a whitetail? Yep, good question. And Joel, I'm sure you know this, um, but uh, they're not really jumping the string. Uh, that's a uh, th th We've been using that term forever, um, ducking the string. And all it is is they're loading their muscles up. Um, and I tell people for a fun game, I was, I was doing a talk and, and uh, you know, I was explaining it to somebody, for a fun game, stand up straight and take off running when somebody says go. You can't just take off running. You're going to have to drop down to load your muscles up to run. And that's exactly what the animals are doing. They're not necessarily jumping the string. A lot of people think, oh, man, they're trying to duck the string. Heck no, they're, they're, they're not correlating, you know what I mean, the, the sound of the bow with an arrow or anything. To them, uh, especially close proximity, it sounds something unnatural. It scares them. It could be a predator. They know as a prey animal they've got to get out of there. So they're loading up their muscles to take off and run. And when they do that, of course, they go down to load up their muscles. So, yeah, it's a good idea with any animal to do that. Um, I tell guys not to, not to shoot below them, although in Texas, there's parts of Texas that I shoot almost at the brisket because uh, they're so fast down there, especially on hard-hunted areas. But uh, on antelope, I tell guys shoot for the heart. Or, you know what I mean? Shoot, you know, literally uh, right at the top of the heart. So basically uh, a lower lung shot. And that way, if the animal does react... You've got more margin for error there. Um, you're going to hit high lung or center lung. Uh, but if the antelope doesn't react at all, you're going to make a perfect shot too because you're going to just be right above the heart. So basically I do the same thing that I do on whitetails. So that pretty much answers the next question from Matt on Instagram. Considering an antelope speed when hunting antelope with a bow and arrow, do most archers aim low on an antelope in case of a string jump? Good question, Matt. Yep, and and same thing. Like I said earlier, you know, um, you know at, at 20 yards um, – you know, uh, yeah, I, I would tell you to hold, uh, you know, just like I just told the uh, the last guy, Joel, I would hold right right at that, uh, right on the top of the heart 
or that uh, the third, the lower third of the animal. Okay, Douglas on Facebook. When I was in Oregon in 2015 hunting elk, we saw antelope on the drive to where we were hunting. We had a real nice antelope running alongside of the road, crashing into the fence every 10 feet or so, then slipping through the fence. I was told antelope won't jump a fence. Is that true? Doesn't seem right to me, but then seeing others do the same thing while out there. Douglas, a great question. And, yeah, obviously uh, you guys kind of freaked out that, that antelope. Um, you came up on it, and it was hitting the fence everywhere trying to go through because they have to, if your truck hadn't gone by, uh, that antelope would have walked along the fence and found a, a, a better place to cross. Um, when they panic sometimes, they will hit the fence. And I tell people, man, if you see antelope on the, you know, on a county road or state road or anything and he's looking, just slow down. If, you, if you're, you know, obviously you can't do that on the highway, but if you're on a dirt road or county road, you see an antelope, just slow down because it's kind of fun to watch them. You'll see they'll work up and down, and they'll usually have a place that they're used to crossing, and they'll try and find that. But if you roll up on them and they're not ready for it, yeah, sometimes they'll hit the fences, and, and that's rough. Um, I've only seen one antelope jump a fence my whole life. Um, the oldest Jeb uh, watched one at our place actually jump. Now, what's interesting is, like I say, 99.9% .9 antelope are going to go underneath. Uh, there are a few that have figured out that they have to jump it. I'll tell you that in my opinion, um, if I'm live 30 years from now, I bet there'll be a lot more antelope jumping fences. Um, it's still relatively new. I mean, the last, depending on where you are in the West, um, this country didn't used to have fences in it. So it was never something they were used to dealing with. Um, and I think as it, uh, generationally as it goes, antelope will start jumping uh, fences more. So it'll be interesting to see if I'm right, but you're going to have to wait 30 years to see it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there are a few I've only seen. I've only seen one. Um, Jeb, the oldest, he's uh, he's watched two do it, but it is very uncommon. And my goal is to actually one day get a picture of it because it would be the coolest picture ever. Yeah, it would. <laughs> I've never seen it. All right, Kevin, representing Nebraska here. Oh yeah, there you <laughs> go, Julie. I've heard antelope taste bad. I've never eaten one. What's the secret to good tasting antelope? Man, you know the big thing with antelope is you got to take that. You got to gut them quick. And you got to get that hide off quickly. When you hear people say, oh, the antelope takes it like sage, usually you're hunting antelope in super dry, arid regions. Uh, Wyoming, South Dakota, Colorado, Montana, you know. So what happens is you shoot this antelope and instantly, let's say you gut it. Almost everybody guts the animal first. Well, now that cavity, it, the moisture is now pulling in. And it's taking the moisture from the hide and putting it right into the meat. So I tell guys, Yank that hide off as quick as you can, and it will keep it from tasting like sage. All that is is it's leaching. Literally, the moisture is drawing inwards, and it's going to, just like anything else, you know, it dries from the outside in, and it's drawing that moisture from the actual hide, and it's going right into the meat. So yank that hide off quickly. But antelope is probably one of our favorites. I would say it's in our top three. Julie, Mine you love too. it. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's awesome, but you just got to take care of it right. Right. Chris from Instagram, what time of year makes for the best eating? Um, an excellent question, Chris. Uh, are you a game warden? Are you trying to get me in trouble here? Uh, summer is the best antelope. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I've only shot antelope uh, usually in, uh, you know, August to September during the archery season. Uh, we do sometimes get those late uh, those late tags in uh, December. You can get a tag in December for a doe antelope a lot. And, uh you know, it, it's funny, and you ask a great question, and I would tell you if it's been a super easy year, 
I do kind of like the ones in December because, you know what I mean, if they still have a good fat store. But I would tell you that generally they're in such great shape in that, you know what I mean, September, August, September. It kind of depends on what the year's doing. Uh, if it's super hot and super rough, you know what I mean, and dry, then they're not going to have a bunch of fat and not going to be delicious in August and September or as good as they could be. Um, and then maybe they get more food later on. So it kind of depends on what kind of year you're having. But uh, I can only tell you that August and September, they usually taste pretty dang good. And the ones I've had in December taste pretty dang good. And like I said, it's one of my favorite meats. All right, Jared from Iowa over on Instagram. Hope you can, you can give me and my friends some tips. We just got back from Nebraska antelope hunting, saw a lot, but got nothing. We used your Montana decoy and and some would come close and others would just run away. What could we have done different? Jared, good question, man. Thanks for using the decoy. Um, I just think you might have been a little early. When did this uh, question come in in the last week or uh, two yeah, weeks? Yeah, just this week, okay. last week. It's just now, and I don't know how long ago you were there in Nebraska, but in, in our country here, like I watched a buck all day the other day, and he wasn't chasing any does really hard. I mean, he'd give them kind of half-hearted, or, you know, some of them were chasing bucks, but it, it's just now to where I'm going, okay, I could probably I could probably go out there with a decoy. So my guess is, and if you heard me earlier, um, if you use a decoy too early, if it's not the peak of the rut, they'll either ignore it or they'll spook it. The fact that you said you had a few antelope come close means you were probably right on the edge of the rut. Because if it's peak of the rut and you show them that decoy, I have literally had guys during rifle season freak out like, whoa, 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 because they're coming at it to literally tear it out of my hands. So it's the peak of the rut. I think you probably went a little early, um, in my opinion. Uh, but again, you know, all the little factors like uh, you, if you can, I try and uh, overcast days are awesome um, because you don't have a shaded side of the antelope. In other words, if it's super bright and the sun's on one side of the antelope and the side of the decoy is shaded that's facing the antelope, um, they've just got the silhouette. Because Montana decoy is an actual photo of a real live antelope, I like them to be able to see it. And that seems like when it works the best for me. So I like them to be able to see that antelope. Um, the other thing is, um, were you getting close enough? Uh, a lot of times, um, if you're showing them an antelope buck from a really long distance, um, sometimes it's not as effective. If you kind of get in their wheelhouse, you know, it's kind of like a guy whistling at your girl and, you know, he's a mile away. Oh, okay, whatever. But if the guy's standing right next to you and he says, wow, you know, she's really cute, well, then you might have an issue with it. <laughs> so, you know, it's the same thing with those antelope bucks. If, uh, you know, if all of a sudden this, this antelope buck and your Montana decoy pops up pretty close to the ladies, well, you know, that's when you're going to get that best reaction where they're going to actually come right into to bow range but i'm glad you guys went out there i hope you had fun and i hope you don't give up on the on the decoy because it is awesome but just like decoy and whitetails or grunting a whitetail it's got to be right but when it does work it's awesome julie was my analogy okay that was great i was just going to ask you if that's from personal experience yeah yeah all the time <laughs> yeah people are always whistling, whistling my girl Michelle. yeah 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 it's horrible <laughs> instagram handle heyjace403 Choice of decoys, ones that work and ones work less. Maybe even tactics you've successfully used with certain decoys. Well, hey, Jason, you probably heard this. Uh, my Montana decoy, uh, I had a big hand in, in helping design that. Of course, Montana decoys designs are awesome because they're an actual photo, and that's what I like about them. It is an actual, you're not, you're, you're not 
it's not something that's supposed to kind of try and look like one. It is one. They're looking at an actual photo of another antelope, a photo of another elk. Um, the hair's right. Everything's right. So it, it, I've, I've had best luck with the Montana decoys, whether I'm using them for elk, whether I'm using for whitetail, whether I'm using them for mule deer or antelope. Um, so in my opinion, those are the best. I talked earlier about a lot of the tactics. Biggest thing with decoys, um, and same with elk. Um, matter of fact, I had uh, – we need to post this up, Julie, because uh, he just did this. Just last week I called in a uh, – oh, it was uh, – we were uh, – cruising around calling i spotted a couple elk and i called the calf up to 10 yards and uh i literally held up my montana decoy this is calf elk totally off subject but uh came up to 10 yards from uh, me and uh, maria a uh, young lady i've known for forever since i was like 18 and uh awesome lady loves to hunt so does her husband and uh then i called the cow in and the cow came in and saw the decoy and it got right into 20 yards and was standing there hanging out. So we'll probably post that up on our social here in the next day or two. It was just kind of a cool little experience. But like I say, it's just like with elk or deer or anything else, um, it has to be either right at the beginning of the rut when it's really starting to kick off or right in the peak of the rut for those decoys to work. But when you see those antelope, uh, when they've got their harems and they're running other bucks off, that's the best time to use them. And uh, showing them to them as close as you can you'll usually have the best reaction. So if you've got a little terrain, um, you know what I mean, a little subtle hill, I've even sat up with them and popped them up next to uh, water holes and just waited for the antelope to come by. And when the antelope comes by with his harem, all of a sudden he sees that other buck and he's like, what? And he takes off after it. And uh, if you're ready, you can usually make something happen there too. So um, I love the decoys. It's just got to be the right time. Kevin on Instagram, do you ever decoy with a blind setup? Um, oh, good question. That's what I was just saying. Yeah, uh, with uh, sometimes I'll use it at a water hole. Um, again, I prefer I prefer if it's peak of the rut and I can just show it to them and get out there and moving. But I have done it with a blind setup and I have had it work. Yes, sir. Scott on Facebook, South Dakota. Could you give some insight into how field dressing an antelope right makes a huge difference in the final product? Great point, Scott. And me and Julie just talked about that earlier. And it's one of the reasons it's our favorite meat. But, again, not only gutting it. A lot of people think, oh, if I just gut it, it'll be okay. In the dry, arid regions you're hunting antelope in, you got to get that skin off quickly or it will literally taint the meat like sage. I've eaten antelope over at people's houses that I knew and almost spit it out of my mouth. Like, oh my gosh, what is this? And it wasn't that they were bad cooks. It's just they didn't get that hide off the antelope so quick. These are antelope that are shot in the same area as the ones that we're shooting, but we're peeling that hide off quick. Get yourself a Yeti, get it into a cooler quick, yank that hide, you'll be good to go. And have good recipes. Uh, good recipes help too. Mm -hmm. That's true. <laughs> and actually, uh, Scott, we post some of our uh, we post some of our recipes. And obviously, um, you're you know because that's why I think you're asking me to tell people because it will make a huge difference. Uh, but we also post some of our recipes on YouTube. I think we've got some of Michelle's favorite recipes on there. Yep. Alan from Wyoming on Facebook. How do you prepare the cape in the field so that the hair doesn't fall out? Good question, Alan. So I have actually. Uh, skinned out some animals for taxidermists and I, we cape out all ours for clients. Um, biggest thing is how quickly you can get it into a cooler. So, um, caping can mean a bunch of different things. Um, I have been in the field where all I did to cape it was of course, just take off the head from the face and you know what I mean? Boom, you've got it caped out and then I can get it cooled down quickly. Um, I've also been in areas where I could not get that cape to a cooler on ice or something quickly 
where I had to then turn the ears, turn the lips. Um, I've got things on my uh, YouTube channel that break that down but uh, and show how to keep out an antelope. But uh, it's not something I could, Alan, just sit here over the podcast and break down. But if you go to the YouTube channel, we have very descriptive videos show how to cut around the we'll horn. We'll put some links on with this podcast too. Oh, okay. There you go, Julie, the smart one. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll put a, put a link there for you. But thank you for the question, Alan. Kind of goes into this one too. Clark from Utah, to skin or not to skin is the question here, Fred. I've done, heard, and wandered. Nice. I like the way you wrote that, Clark. Yes. Um, d again, the, the variable there is how far away am I um, from either, you know, when I carry the, the big, big Yeti just for clients so I can get it cooled off and throw it in there quickly. Um, you're never going to go wrong taking that, that, taking that skin off. Um, I, I would even, and I spoke about it earlier, a lot of, you know, a lot of people got it quickly and then they, you know, then they'll drive. If you can get somewhere quickly, it may be even better to leave the guts in instead of driving it in the back of an open truck with that gut cavity empty, because what happens is literally it causes that moisture to pull inside and it takes the moisture in the hide and pulls it, draws it right into that meat. Um, so I'm going to tell you, if if you've got the time and and the experience and and can just yank that skin off in the field, I think you're way better off. The meat, the the end result's going to be even better the quicker you get that off. Frank from Virginia sent to th this to us on Facebook. If you were going on your first antelope hunt coming from the East Coast, where would you recommend? Um, there's a place called Full Draw Outfitters. <laughs> <laughs> just <Plug>. laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, good question, Frank. It depends if you want to go on a guided hunt or uh, or a non-guided, self-guided hunt. Um, game wardens, wildlife biologists are great people to talk to. Um, peruse the internet. Um, you can get a lot peruse. There's a big word of the day. That's the biggest one I use. Um, you can check. Stop <laughs> laughing. Um, you can check out. Uh, uh, you know, different areas. Colorado's unique, at least this part of Colorado, uh, because it's an over-the-counter tag. There's other areas you could put in for, uh, you might put in for preference points uh, to draw a real trophy area, uh, depending on what you're after. Um, you may want to, you know, some people will actually just charge you a, a nominal fee uh, just to go hunt on their property where you have to set up the blind, you have to do everything, but maybe you pay them a trespass fee. So whether you want to hunt uh, public land, whether you want to try and pay a trespass fee or whether you want to go on a fully guided hunt kind of depends on uh, on what you want to do there frank once you figure that out um then you can go into more information whether that's calling biologists game wardens in the area talking to different outfitters i tell guys you know talk to multiple outfitters find out um you know hey what's you know what's their percentage uh, you know how many hunters do you take how many guys get shots how many people harvest how do you hunt them um are if you're a bow hunter are you you know, are you guys familiar with bow hunters? Um, there's some outfitters that are great because they're familiar with, you know, guiding bow hunters. Um, there's some outfitters that aren't familiar with bow hunting, and that makes it really tough. Um, same thing with rifle. If you're going with a rifle, make sure the outfitter is uh, not just a bow outfitter and that he understands rifle and, and uh, what you need for that as well. Frank, I hope you do make it out antelope because they are a really cool animal and uh, not only delicious, but I think they're one of the most handsome animals out there. Brian on Instagram. Which units in Colorado offer the best public land opportunities for an out-of-stater to pursue? Good question, Brian, and I don't know. So uh, it's constantly changing, Brian. Um, I used to hunt uh, up northern Colorado, um, close to Wyoming, up uh, Highway 85, um, and that was over-the-counter for years and years and years, and then they changed it to a draw, and now it takes three to five years to draw that. 
And I would tell you that we're still probably shooting bigger antelope uh, down here in southern Colorado, southern Colorado uh, than we were up there. Um, so, you know, but there's some great areas. There was uh, some great areas over uh, Phil Phillips used to guide over by Montrose, I think it was. And, man, he shot some great antelope. So, um, and I think that's a draw area as well. And I'm not sure how many years it takes to draw that. So you'd probably be better off. Um, I, I just I wish I could answer your question better because I – I hunt mostly antelope right here where I guide clients in southern Colorado. Um, and there's some, you know, Comanche grasslands um, is a good one. There's a bunch of different public land areas that you can look into um, if you're willing to hike a little bit, put a little work in, um, or go later in the season and try a decoy. Uh, but, yeah, check it check it all out, Brian, and I hope you'll come out to Colorado because I tell you, I, Colorado's got some really unique uh, hunting opportunities. But uh, call game wardens and biologists. Um, um, and you can get a lot of information. Adam um, is one of the game. You can ask for Adam. He's uh, one of the game wardens down here um, in the southeast part of the state, which is uh, east of I-25, and he can give you the name of some of the different public land areas and probably give you an idea of how many antelope there are and, and what kind of success guys have. I left this one in here. It's not exactly antelope-related, but it's really funny. So, Jeremy, over on Instagram, how do you find the time to do a podcast in the peak of hunting season, plus your filming, guiding, fathering, farming, and who knows what else? Hope you get some sleep sometime. Dude, is Jeremy know me or what? <laughs> Jeremy, we may be friends. I don't know. What time did I leave this the house this morning? Uh, you were up at 3.30 and left at 4. Yeah, I was up at 3.30, left at 4, took off. I was climbed to 13,000 feet um, looking for sheep. I had the other guides covering uh, elk hunters and uh bear hunters uh i just rolled in literally two hours ago and i was going to head over to the east ranch uh because we actually have uh kind of cool i don't even think i'll wait and ask but we have a political guy here that's pretty cool guy um but i'll wait and see if it's okay if i even say that but uh um so i was going to get over there say hi to those guys make a plan with them then we've got uh, five more elk hunters coming in tomorrow and a couple guys from our non-guided camp heading out. So, no, I don't sleep a lot this time of year, buddy. But Julie was like, Fred, do you have a minute? I, I think it would be really cool um, for you to do this antelope podcast. Um, we got a lot of questions on it. and it's prime time. Prime time. So, yeah, so it was like, uh, yeah, sure. So we sat down. We're sitting here in the game room for an hour. And I say game room. That makes it sound really fancy. <laughs> uh, we're actually in my Morton barn uh, that we kind of – we paneled up and put some mounts in, so it's kind of cool. But game room sounds makes it sound like it's really fancy. It's actually in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin from Nebraska, another question here. What tactics do you use when there's a lot of rain? Kevin, good question. Rain sucks when you're trying to hunt over a water hole. Um, however, you could still be successful, and our clients are still successful a lot because a lot of times the best grass is around those water holes. Um, and I'll also sometimes when it rains, I'll go to horses, um, I talked a little bit about that tactic earlier. Um, we'll go to hunting over, uh, you know, fence crossings, uh, may go to spot and scock, and may go to decoying. So uh, it's not – I wish there was one answer that fit all, but a lot of it depends on how much rain, um, how much water is out there, uh, what's the weather going to be like the couple days after the rain. Um, you know, but a lot of times I'll just look at all the options I have and kind of gauge what the antelope are doing, whether they're rutted up, you know, whether I want to go try a decoy or try something else. Uh, but I hope that helps you out. But don't give up on a water hole just because you get some rain because a lot of times um, they'll come in and eat the grass. And we've shot a lot of antelope eating good grass around those water holes even though it was uh, rainy. Dean from Nebraska on Facebook. 
I was talking to a coworker here on the ranch, and he says the fawn population is way down this year. He's thinking that predation by coyotes is the cause, even though we had the government trapper come in and out, cyanide traps, snare, and even had a shooter in a plane in for a few days. Well, Dean, 100%, uh, the, the largest uh, coyotes uh, cause more antelope predation or predate more on antelope than any other animal. Um, like 70% of the fawn mortality rate is caused by coyotes. So I would tell you that coyotes are definitely, uh, you know, a major predator for those uh, antelope yearlings um, and fawns. So, yeah, I think uh, definitely putting in some uh, some more predator control could probably help you out there. Um, fences can cause an issue too, man. It kills me. Uh, one of our neighbors actually has some sheep fence up. And every year we see multiple fawns killed because it's like the coyotes know. When they see a, a doe with a yearling go over there, they're like, oh, we got you. We're going to hem you in against that sheep fence. And that's what they do. So, you know, I would tell you, check your fences. Um, you know, stringing up a couple different uh, on the bottom wires. I assume you guys probably run cattle because you said ranch. Uh, you may want to string up a couple of those bottom wires a little higher and give those antelope more places to zip through because um, it'll it'll check them out. But yeah, keep trapping, keep shooting coyotes. I'm all about that. I think it definitely helps those antelope out. Rob from Michigan over on Facebook, our buddy Rob. What's up, Rob? <laughs> we are planning on a hunt next year. What should we be prepare prepared for? Yardages we should be ready for, and how long is a set time in a blind? And Julie wants to know if you're going to keep the spiders and snakes out of her blind. Julie as in Rob, I know I know yeah. your wife, Julie, <laughs> and I will sit in the blind with her. <laughs> um, and put you in a different spot. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yes, uh, spiders and snakes are sometimes part of antelope hunting. Fortunately, I think we only had one person uh, see a snake this year. Uh, only one client that we had at a, at a rattlesnake actually go in the blind, um, and they got that out of there, so no issue. Uh, spiders will cruise around a bunch. Um Rob, but as far as uh, the best planning for hunting out of a blind, shoot from a sitting position. Get a Millennium chair or something. I like those because they don't have arms on them, um, so they're great to shoot a bow out of. So check check out whatever chairs you can that don't have arms. A lot of people get those big comfy chairs. They're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And then they go to try and draw their bow, and they can't. Um, so try different chairs out. We like the Millenniums because, again, it doesn't have the – now it doesn't have a cup holder, but, uh, you know, it's going to be better to shoot your bow out of. Uh, but practice shooting from a uh, from a sitting and a kneeling position just in case you've got to uh, shoot different. I actually, oh, I, I don't even want to admit this, uh, but I'm oh, oh, I'd stick it in my throat, Julie. I missed a buck just the other day. <laughs> what was that? I couldn't hear the whole thing. I'm sorry. I, I said <laughs> I missed an antelope buck, the biggest one I've ever shot at my whole life. Just yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> um it was a little excitement. It was a little bit of a issue with the shoulder, and I was actually kneeling. No excuse. It was my totally my fault. Uh, but uh, it was giant. But uh, not that that would matter. I was uh, going to try and shoot the doe if she gave me a shot, but the buck gave me the shot first, and it was a giant, and I missed. Um, but it's long story. Long story. <laughs> I'll tell that sometime. But I'm not going to tell it now because it's way too soon, and I'm not over it yet. Too soon. Too soon. Um, but, yeah, so practice shooting um, yardages. Man, we try and set up shots between 15 and 25 yards. Biggest thing there, Rob, just wait for the antelope to get there. Like I said, probably our biggest mistake for the guys that weren't successful this year, um, even though we tell them wait till they hit the water. I, uh, it's it's hot, so be ready to 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 be hot. Uh, but don't 
rush it. Just like with a white tail that's not turned at a good angle, wait until you get the good angle or don't take the shot. I tell guys, you know, I, I had some guys this year that would, you know, oh, man, he's out there at 40. I don't think he's going to come in. He's not going to come in. I'm going to shoot and, and miss. When had they just given it more time, more time, they would have come in. They may have circled. It may have driven them nuts. It may have circled two days and then come in the third day. But odds are they're going to come right in and they're going to drink that water. So wait till you get a good shot that you're comfortable with um, and tell Julie I'm looking forward to hunting with her. <laughs> John on Instagram, does an antelope have as good of a sense of smell as whitetail? Um, not at all. And uh, they don't react the same as a whitetail. I kind of touched base on that one earlier, mm -hmm. but, yeah, I think you're golden. Kelly no from worries. Instagram, why are antelope more tolerant to human scent, noise, and movement occurring within a blind and not tolerant to these issues during spot and stalk? Good question. In a blind, they don't see it as well. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of concealed in a blind, especially if you keep it dark. Um, but if they see it out on a spot and stalk, to them, you're, well, you are a predator. They're looking for predators. They use their eyes as their main means of defense. They see you out there, and they know that you are up to no good, just like a coyote or a bobcat or a mountain lion or, you know, whatever else is trying to kill them out there. So, yeah, it's really, really difficult to get away with uh, much on a spot and stalk. But in a blind, it's usually dark. Um, they can't see in there great because it's super bright outside, super dark inside the blind if you have it set up correctly, and you can get away with a lot more there. Kind of goes right with this one, too. Oh, yeah, we the can skip The eyesight it. is awesome. Yep. Oh, yeah, hearing, spelling, eyesight. Give it Thanks right. for your question, Ryan, by the way. And uh, but we think we touched that one. Yep. So and old school 58 on Instagram. Do you <laughs> Do you have different setups for traditional bow hunters versus compounds? Man, great question. And I, I do sometimes because uh, in some of the blinds, I like the taller blinds for, uh, for trad guys. You know, long bow, recurve. Um, you know, I shot mine last year. Um, you know, with my recurve. Um, so I do like some of the taller, muddy blinds so you have more room in there. Uh, we set up almost all the shots pretty close, though. On the close side of the tank, it's usually 15. If it's on a cattle tank, the far side is 25. So usually your shots are between 15 and 25 yards, um, you know, depending. But, yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely try and have uh, the trad guys as close as we can and uh, in a large enough blind to accommodate them. And there as well chair makes a big difference so make sure you have a chair that you can comfortably shoot out of that doesn't have arms on it john from kentucky on facebook fred i think i missed a really nice antelope at that tank in 2008 from your po from your photo can you explain how that happened still wake up in a cold sweat <laughs> over that one uh john like i said it's way too early for me to even talk about it because i just i lost my mind on one yesterday just a uh, and, and the bad thing was, I thought I was going to be a hero, John. I was going to be a hero. I had two different clients miss this buck, and he is a giant. But I was going to shoot a doe. I was like, oh, whatever. I just, you know, I want to I fill the freezer. Of course, Michelle shot a beautiful buck. Is I'm that like, why your shirt says what it says? Yes. Small racks are trophies, too. That is 100% <laughs> what it says. You designed that shirt. <laughs> and where do we have those up at? Uh, they'll be up soon oh. on oh, they're Facebook. Not? They're not up yet. They will oh. be when this probably when this goes up. Oh, okay. We just got some new shirts, so they're kind of cool. Yeah, and Julie really designed them. They are pretty fun. And you guys voted on them, actually. Oh, nice. But, uh, John, I totally get it, buddy. Some of those, uh, it, it, it totally, you will wake up in a cold sweat. And uh, a lot of it, uh, antelope are the worst. I'm telling you right now, 
and I think I would rather shoot almost anything as far as being able to stay calm. But when you watch an antelope come in from that far and you're sitting there and sweat's rolling off you and there's flies buzzing around or whatever, and you're like, oh, man, there he is. I'm going to get him. And he comes in. Man, you're so worked up by the time they get there. It's just, oh, <laughs> it's crazy. All right, these next two are our last two, and they're kind of on the same topic, so I'm just going to read them both. JD from Missouri on Facebook and Zach on Instagram. What is your favorite technique while spot and stock bow hunting antelope? What's your opinion on spot and stock for antelope? Man, um, so I, I look at spot and stock and decoying as two different things, although they're really kind of combined. So spot and stock is awesome when you can pull it off, but it, you almost have to have a break, a break in the terrain. And in some of the country I hunt, it's flat as a pancake, and it is literally dang near impossible to get drawn. Even if you get sneaky and lay down, you know what I mean, and and, <laughs> and the antelope comes in range, trying to raise up and draw a bow, whether it's a recurve, a longbow, a compound, whatever, is dang near impossible. So you really need, for a spot and stock to be successful, some broken terrain. Um, so creek bottoms, things like that where you can spot the antelope. I watch a lot of antelope, and every once in a while we'll get one bedded down in a position where I'm like, oh, he's vulnerable there. He is right by that little hill. I think we come up, and then we'll always try that when we can. Uh, but it is very difficult to pull off. So my advice on the spot and stock is wait until it's the perfect situation or do something to help you out, like take a decoy with you. Um, that can be huge and a huge asset. Well, guys, listen, thank you so much uh, for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. Um, I've been playing with these beautiful animals for a long time. I absolutely love them. Uh, I'm passionate about antelope as much as I am probably about darn near anything. Uh, and right now we've got a lot going on. we got antelope season, elk season, bear season. We shot a – God, we had a client shoot a 470-pound bear the other day. We've got Turkey. Um, turkey, yeah, we had a client kill a turkey today and miss a bull, um, which is kind of cool. So, you know, how unique is Colorado? Literally saw a herd of 75 elk. I won't even say his name because super guy, super guy, I'll have to ask him if it's okay if I say his name first. But uh, from Florida, that's the only hint I'll say. But he came out, had a herd of 75 elk, um, actually on, on our ranch here behind the house. Um, got a shot at a real nice bull, uh, hit a twig, missed the bull. And then amazingly, how do you miss a giant bull and then kill a turkey tell me how that works i think a twig is what caused the difference <laughs> but uh, a lot of cool stuff happening um good luck to everybody out there i hope you enjoy it